The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Welcome to part two of the season-ending HawkeyesMike.com football podcast. We'll continue now with a review of the 2009 season and preview the Orange Bowl game, the 2010 Hawkeyes, Big Ten expansion, and the BCS. Grade out the coaches, uh, Ferenc O'Keefe and Parker, for their performances this year. you got to give them A-minuses. I'm going to give them an A-minus because we were not playing the championship game but uh, or the Rose Bowl. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I, 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 you know, I think they did a good job. I mean, it's, you know, you... Obviously, you can be critical. I, I think our offense is on cruise control because we, we're running the same offense we were running 12 years ago. We run stretch, zone, and boot, you know, and, and every once in a while we'll throw a little bit of a wrinkle in there, but um, it's pretty simple. I mean, that's why it was, it was an easy transition for came in or Vandenberg when he came in because it's what we do. It's who we are, and it's the system we run. So, uh, and then obviously Norm Parker. It's interesting to me because we're square peg players, and it's, it, we're a square peg team, I should say. And we have square peg players, we're great, you know? But if we don't have big zone, big offensive linemen that can run zone and run stretch, we're gonna struggle, because that's who we are. That's, that's the kind of offense we are. And so we've got the players, and that's to the coaches for recruiting, and so that's why I gotta give them an A minus. I mean, I'd give them an A or A plus if we were in a championship game, but we're not, so A minus. I'd go A minus with Kirk and A minus with Norm, and I'll give Ken a B, just because the offense was never as good as the defense this year, and I know it's not his fault. He didn't throw the interceptions, but it's, whether it's fair or not, I guess he's the offensive coordinator. So, I, I the, to me, the defense was a little better from, than the offense, so that's why. But a B's still pretty good. I mean, I used to always love it when I got a B in school. I, I'm interested. I, I, see, I'm a little different. I'm going to jump in here because uh, you know, I think Stanzi's. I think Stanzi's the real deal. I think he's legit. He's made about four, five, six maybe bad decisions where it's like, oh my gosh, who was he throwing to? But other than that, he he has done times where we line up and throw it 35 times and he's completing 28, 27 passes. And he can make the throws now. He can bang the outs, the comebacks. He can throw it on the run. You know, he throws it with touch when he needs to. You know, he threw a ball down the middle to Reisner one time. I, I think from a quarterback standpoint, he's he's got a chance to be the real deal. You know, I, I think we're, we're locked at that position, but... Uh, and we got to remember that, you know, Stanzi's still only, he's still a pretty young guy. I mean, he's still only got, what, nine or ten starts under his belt. So it's going to be an exciting time, I think, for the Hawks. It was interesting to me to watch Vanderberg coming in. I mean, the guy's got a cannon for an arm, but he does not have Stanzi's touch. Yeah. I mean, Stanzi can throw it hard when he needs to, and he can just touch it in there when he needs to. And Vandenberg looks like right now, which I assume he'll get better at, but he's got one speed, and it's like almost Favre-type break your fingers. Yeah. Well, you know, coming out of high school, you can get away with those lobs because the safety can't get over there. <laughs> what they're finding out is you want it out of your hand and in their hand as quick as possible. But that'll come. His touch will develop. Your grades? A minuses. I thought it was. They did a great job all season. A lot of talent, but they utilized the talent pretty well. So only one thing that pops into my head as a negative: just not going for it at the end of the Ohio State game. See, I don't have a problem with that. I'm one of the few. I was one of the few columnists who didn't rip. Well, I mean, I know one columnist really took Kirk to task, but I. I I guess I saw both sides of it. I, I was curious why they didn't go for at least one time, but I also knew that Vandenberg had thrown interceptions on two of the previous three 
series in the fourth quarter and we found out afterwards that Vandenberg had gone up to the coaches and said they're doing things on defense in the fourth quarter. He admitted afterwards that he told the coaches he was very confused. I think Kirk weighed all that stuff and I'm just wondering, had they gone for it, had Vandenberg thrown an interception in that last minute and Ohio State turned that into a game-winning field goal, I just wonder how many of those same people that ripped him for being conservative would have ripped him for, oh, they finally decided to be gunslingers at the worst time ever and look what happened. See, to me, it's hindsight. I remember when we did the show there, I, I can see both sides too. Yeah, but, I can too. But when you look at that field position and the time left on the clock, the odds of even if they got an interception of, you know, being able to do something with it looked pretty small to me and I thought, Marv, the, isn't the old philosophy that when you're on the road you do go for some of those things yeah you go for you play for the win and you know the other thing you do when you when you're starting to drive like that is you start with a screen you start with some try to try, kind of play where you're trying to get and then we ran stretch and we got tripped up I think they I don't know uh, the quarterback tripped up the running back or it was just a good play by the defense but we didn't even attempt it in, in my opinion Trestle had already showed his hand he was playing for overtime he oh yeah three straight times with you know two minutes to go from his own 20 but you know, it, 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 Pat's right. I mean, if it goes the other way, and it did earlier, we got you know he had a, a touchdown interception get called back for a penalty, and it was in the fourth quarter. I mean, yeah. he fell apart in the fourth quarter, and I so, think that's one thing. We're not there on the sidelines. We don't know the look in his face when he's coming off the field after those series. I just got the f- impression from Kirk afterwards that. Um, James was panicking a little bit in the fourth quarter, and I think Kirk and Kirk plays it close to the vet. That's just his. The, the, the true element would have been with 2:20 to go to go for two. If you don't get it, you stop them like we did. They punt it. Now we go down with a minute or 50 seconds to go to kick a field goal to win the game if we have to. And, but you know, yeah. But it is what it is. I mean, we had a chance. We it was an overtime game, right? Yeah, I was more. We, we, play, we were in overtime for a chance to go to the Rose Bowl at Ohio State. Yeah. So, backup yeah, quarterback. I, can't, I, can't second second. I was more frustrated or surprised by the play calling in overtime. But I don't like to question play calling because I'm not a coach. I mean, I just you know, that'd be I don't need Ken O'Keefe questioning the way I write. And to me, I've always had a problem questioning play calls by college coaches. I've never liked to write columns about that stuff because who am I? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't question the call that you do at Regina because I, I mean, how would I know more about calling a play than someone like you would? So I've always had an issue with stuff like that. So maybe that's another reason I stayed away from that too. I've never really liked questioning what coaches do during the game. I mean, I'll question a lot of what they do afterwards and what they say and how they treat their players, but I'm not as qualified as Kirk Ferentz to comment on that. I guess I'd give Kirk an A- minus and Parker an A, just because I think it's hard to imagine. You know, we, there's some little periods of letdowns, but this is an awesome defense. And I'd give O'Keefe a B, just because of some of the play calling and because I don't like the fact that the tight ends disappeared in too many games. That's a good I, point. You know, and so. I, that was one of the things that kind of bothered me this season. Who, who stands out? Let's look at the position coaches. Just pick one. Who, who stands out? My, I'll, I'll go first this time. My answer is, is uh, Campbell. I, I don't know whether it's just his background, his experience, his presence on the field. You've got a, our wideouts overall, no matter how deep you go down, just look better to me. I mean, that looked like a whole different aspect of the Iowa offense to me this year, and I I think he's a terrific addition to the staff. I would agree with that. I'm going to go with someone different. I never thought I would say this, because until the last two years, I was kind of questioning, but I'm going to go with Lester Herb at running back, because I know Sean Green was a great player, but that was Lester's first year coaching running backs last year, and everything came together. And what? He, and I know Kirk brought up a couple comments on his radio shows this year, talking about the way Lester has gotten these young running backs, Adam Robinson and Brandon Wagger, to get together. I don't know how it works on the college scene. I don't know how much time a position coach spends with his guys, how big of an influence they are on these guys. But to me, 
when Jewel went down, I, I think a lot of people thought this, wow, this season could be lost. And what they were able to do at running back this year, I find that pretty impressive. Well, I'm going to go with Phil Parker. I mean, we, we talked about it earlier. If, if you can be, you can lock down almost all the football field, but if you give up five, six yards on the outside with Big Ten quarterbacks, they'll pound it all day long. When we were able to come up and take that away, that easy throw and catch, take away the out, take away the hitch, and they had to try to play in here in between our tackles or over the middle, we just, it was a different game. I mean, they, can, they got to the point where they, can, they contested every square inch on the football field. That's the first time, as you mentioned, that we've seen that out of our secondary or corners, especially in a long time. I picked Eric Campbell as well. You know, it was said multiple times at the beginning to show emerging receivers. Nobody picked Rick Kaczynski. The defensive line replacing those people, that's pretty impressive, too. You said I only picked one. <laughs> he played at Notre Dame, too. I, I cheat. <laughs> where, you really already touched on it earlier, but where do you think this team ranks in terms of Ferentz coach teams and overall in both the Ferentz and the Fry eras? I'd say second in Ferentz era behind the 0-2 team. As far as the Fry era, this is, that's, I don't think it's as good as the 85 team. I, Marv obviously can speak to that yeah. since he was on that, but I would say after that, I, I mean, to me it's as good as the 90 team Hayden had, and I would say it's Kirk's second best team behind the O2, definitely behind the O2 Orange Bowl team. It's by far the best defense I've seen in Iowa, except maybe the 81 defense. What about 04? Remember they had Green, Greenway, Hodge, Babineau, Roth? You know, yeah, I, I, yeah, they were good. They were great, but defense, core defense, I think, across the board. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I like to see statistically how we did. I, I think it's just the most lockdown, solid defense that I, I, if I had to win a game and I was a coach, which defense would I want? It'd been this one. That's a good um, point, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, we had more stars. And that's the, that's the interesting thing about this defense is who's the star? I mean, Sachs, Greenwood, Spave, I mean, Spave, you know, I mean, some of these guys got NFL potential, Claiborne, but is Claiborne a first or second round pick? There's a reason he's coming back next year. And, and so, from that standpoint, but offensively, they were just mediocre. And uh, the 85 team, you know, I, I don't know if it was your interview or whatever, but we talked about it. I mean, this team is just way more physical than the 85 team. That's right. The 85 team was very finesse, you know, had some skilled players with Ronnie Harmon and Chuck Long and those guys, and there were some scheme things that Snyder would do, but, but when it came time to line up and get a yard, I'm telling you, it had been tough against this defense. I was going to say, the 85 offense against this defense, what? It had been a, it had been a great matchup. Just because, I mean, we couldn't have run the ball effectively unless we were throwing the ball. We, we would have been throwing the ball to try to run it. That'd be neat to see Ronnie yeah. Harmon trying to yeah. zig and zag through this defense. There must be some computer guy who could put that game together. You know, like I said, best defense I've seen, and then, you know, just mediocre offense at best. I think we already touched on the most important attribute or the best word to describe the team in the season. I mean, we use magical, mystical, resilience. I'm going to use resilience. Yeah. To me, the resiliency, that would be my word. Heart attack, Hawkeyes. Let me just back up a second about, it. do you think you, Marv, touched earlier on the fact that really we haven't, this offense is exactly the same offense that was being run, you know, 10 years ago. As long as Ferentz and O'Keefe are here, I mean, we've never even run the Wildcat ones that I recall. And, you know, there's a, that's a scheme, whether it's gimmicky or not, that Wager, 
might be a perfect you know candidate to slot in there and run that maybe once or twice a game but do you think this offense is ever going to be one that will blow good teams out or are we always going to be playing close games under Kirk Ferentz except with really overmatched we'll always teams be playing close games I agree even the 0-2 team had close games I mean they were very explosive but they had close games they barely beat Miami of Ohio so we're always going to have close offenses yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I, I think it's, it's just the way it's, it's frustrating yeah, it's Wisconsin, Wisconsin's the same way Ninth play coming up, longest possession for Michigan State tonight. Third down and goal to go inside the one. Baker the tail. Hawkin the fullback. Cousins gets motion from the tight end, Lithicum. Baker again, he did not make it. And if you're Don Treadwell, offensive coordinator for Michigan State, what do you call? You, you call play action pass, that didn't work. You tried to run up the gut, that didn't work. What do you call? Man, that defense just hunkers down, and they do not let you get in the end zone. What a victory for Iowa here defensively to deny the Spartans. It was first and goal at the one. Play fake, and batted down from behind. It's loose. Iowa on the move. Tyler Sash going to take it back. Trick or treat, Iowa City! Wow. That's about it. Wow. Look at the disbelief. It's been that kind of season for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Tyler Sash, six interceptions on the season, Mark. It came loose, and Sash with a mad dash to the end zone. That's a pinball. A pinball interception and touchdown for the Hawkeyes. <laughs> Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Let's turn to... Previewing the Orange Bowl, overall, it's the most healthy Iowa's probably been since the start of the season. What's your sense of the team right now? Well, I think you hit it. I think they're very healthy. Dace Richardson's back practicing. Stansy, I mean, obviously Ricky's the key. He's healthy. It's going to be eight, nine weeks by the time they play the game since he had that injury. So I don't think that'll be a factor. And I think that's a big key, the fact that they are healthy. And I think if they can get Dace back in there, because I think that was a big key. I don't think the line was ever the same after he left. I think he was he was the one guard in there who stabilized things, and I think that would be a real big boost for them. Yeah, and it's my only scare is this is a tough matchup. I mean, this is you know we we're used to spread. We're used to you know power teams. This is something like you never see before. And and, and yeah, we get 30 days to prepare, which is huge. But then they also have 30 days to put some wrinkles in off of what they've been doing all year long. So it's a tough, tough offense to defend. You know, but from that standpoint, I'm glad to see our defense. I, I, I was looking forward to seeing us play Boise State. I'd like to see our defense against that offense. But then this is also a good chance to see our defense against an offense that's going to be pretty tough to defend. A Georgia Tech team that probably not many people in Iowa or the Big Ten pay much attention to, or the ACC in general. I mean, what's your sense of them and, and their head coach? He's got a very unique 
system. He's been doing it for years. They've mastered it. I mean, Norm Parker brought up about how when he was at Hawaii, they were running this system. So I think Marv brought up a good point earlier. One thing about this Iowa team that truly stands out on defense, their ability to tackle. I think this is going to be huge in this game because this quarterback weighs about 230 pounds. He is basically a running back. I mean, this. I mean, he's not Thomas Lott from back in the Oklahoma wishbone days, but tackling in space is going to be huge in this game, and I think they're going to have to be really sound up front. But to me, that in some ways plays into Iowa's hands. As long as they stay in their lanes and stay assignment sound and all that, I think they'll have a really good chance with this. But they're, they're going to have to be physical and they're going to have to tackle. I mean, that's going to be a big part going against this Nesbitt kid. Overall, what's your sense of the Big Ten as it, versus the ACC, the two conferences this past year? You know, I, we've talked about it a lot. I, I think the Big Ten's okay. You know, we talk, I mean, Ohio State was in the rank 20, 25th ever for a while. I don't even know if they were in the top 20. And so, I mean, I think it's an interesting time in the Big Ten. I, I think it's not as powerful as it used to be. I think there's more parity in it, obviously, we've seen that. But, you know, I don't think it's, uh, we don't have, a, you know, a team that's head over heels. I still think Iowa's the best team in the Big Ten this year. So I think the Big Ten was solid but not great. ACC, you know, is, a, is an up-and-coming conference. I don't think it's you know, up there yet. I mean, they're still trying to compete with the SEC down there from a recruiting standpoint, uh, which is going to take time, but they're definitely on the rise and, and, and moving in the right direction. I would agree with that. I think, um, and I think with a team like Georgia Tech, I think getting Paul Johnson was huge because I think he's one of the best coaches in the country. He's got this system that works for him. He's got assistant coaches that have been with him for years, and now he's in a conference where they've got a great recruiting base down there in the Atlanta area. And I think it's going to be an interesting game. I, to me, it'll be a kind of a, a good test to see where the Big Ten and the, how the Big Ten and the ACC kind of compare right now. Because I did not expect Georgia Tech to be this good this year. This is kind of a surprise to me. So it'll be interesting to see. But right now, I, I, I feel good about Iowa's chances in this game. And, I, I, and for some reason, I, I think it's because they're going up against a running team, even though the system is so different. For some reason, I just think this Iowa defense is tailor-made to stop teams that want to run, no matter how they go about doing it. Let's talk about the matchup of Iowa's offense against Georgia Tech's defense and the key players for each team. For us, it's going to be our offensive line. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be a matter. I think they're they're not as big as what we're used to seeing, but they're a little bit more athletic. And, and to beat that, you have to just line up and pound on them. You have to line up and, and get the ball going north and south and then keep it in short yardage situations, keep it in second short, third and short, manageable situations where you can throw the ball effectively. If we get in second and twelves and, and third and longs, they're going to cause some problems with us from a blitz standpoint and from a, uh, a pass protection standpoint, just because they are very fast, very elusive uh, defense up front. So you know that's to me, it's going to be the offensive line and the way we run the ball is going to be the key to, to the game offensively. I agree. I mean, if they can't, if Iowa has trouble running the ball, that's going to be a, a real problem because that's going to be more pressure on Stanzi and. He has shown a tendency at times to, I don't want to say he panics, but he, he's made a couple of questionable throws under duress. But if Iowa can run the ball and the offensive line can assert itself, I think that's going to go a long way in winning the game. You can, you can, you can base up a guy that is in front of you, the guy that's elusive and is causing problems inside. The, the, the interior guys worry me more uh, just from how active, from what I've seen of them. Uh, and the problems they can cause. I mean, they're, they're Matt Kroll kind of, Mitch King kind of guys, in my opinion. They can cause a lot of problems in there. Okay, let's turn the other side of the coin. Iowa's defense versus Georgia Tech's spread option, key players. It's the <laughs> defensive ends and the, and the defensive tackles. I mean, here's the problem. When they run that midline, that, that kind of the veer inside, they will not even block the defensive tackle. 
they will hit it so fast inside that they'll unblock them. If that gets to the linebacker, it's three yards minimum. And then, you know, if we're not sound on defense, if he's getting nosy and now the quarterback's coming up behind him on the follow, and, and you truly have to be disciplined to know I can't chase that. I can't chase that. I got to do my assignment, stay in my lane because it looks like this, it looks like this, and then it's something else. And so you just have to play assignment defense. And I think my biggest fear is the fear that we saw last time we were in the Orange Bowl. USC was on the field a long time offensively, and our defense got wore out. And that's my biggest fear in a game like this, is our front seven guys are going to be on the field for eight, nine, ten play drives, you know, four yards at a pop, and, and they can get wore out. So it's, it's, it's the front, I'm going to say it's the front seven is the key. I mean, they just got to, they got to stop the option. They got to stop that fullback die first and foremost. I would agree with that. I know when Norm was talking about Georgia Tech, how to stop them. He kept mentioning Iowa's defensive ends and how so much of what Georgia Tech does is keyed on what, there's gonna be a lot of reading by the Claiborne and Benz. They're gonna to have to do a lot of ball check and what have you, so yeah, I would, and to me, Mar brought up a good point about the defense wearing down, and I don't see it on the depth chart, but I know Nesbitt's a big kid. I mean, he's, I don't see his position on here, but they're gonna be tackling a quarterback consistently who I think weighs somewhere 220, 230 pounds, something like that. And that, that'll wear on you too. And he's, he carries the ball a lot. And Jonathan Dwyer is one of the best running backs in the country and he's explosive. So yeah, if they, if they, if Georgia Tech controls things up front, I mean, the game's over. I mean, they're, they're, I mean that's what, and with their type of offense, they'll just keep Iowa on the field and go up and down the field in little bits and pieces. And then it becomes a bad scenario. And, and then the problem is when you defend it, you got to decide whether the corner is going to come up and take pitch or the safety is going to come up and take pitch. Okay, and then a lot of times now it looks like option. Now the tight end's slipping out, and if the footing's bad, you know, all it takes is one slip and the tight end's on a corner and it's a touchdown. I mean, it's it's so critical that you have to be sound with what you're doing defensively, and all it takes is one guy breaking down. If one guy doesn't get out to the pitch, it's a 15-yard game. So it's 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 a, it's going to be a total team execution. And Pat, you talked earlier about you think that spread option kind of plays into Iowa's defensive strengths. And Marv, you alluded to the fact that overall you think this is the best, most sound defense you've seen. So in the thinking about those two comments and how important is Norm Parker in, uh, in this game? Huge. I mean, because this is, don't get caught doing somebody else's job. Don't do, to, do your assignment. You know, and I, I think that's the beauty of this defense. That's what they do. That's, I think that's why we're going to be okay. But it's critical that you do not get caught doing somebody else's assignment. Because I'm telling you, they're gonna, they run it and it looks the same, same, same. And they got wrinkles off of it from a blocking standpoint. They got wrinkles off of from what hole they're hitting. And next thing you know, they're running it in the corner. Or the receiver's running a go and the tight end's running a post. And, you know, now the safety's in a bind. And so you just have to play assignment defense. So it's going to be critical that they execute it in practice and they simulate it. That's the one thing that I've heard Coach Ferentz talk about. It's just impossible to simulate the speed and the, and the precision of this offense. You know, you can put our number one offense over there and you still can't. It's just such a unique style. And the interesting thing for Coach Johnson is, you know, he's been there two years now, but trying to recruit guys to come there, trying to recruit an offensive lineman to come to play in that system, it's not a system that's conducive to sending guys to the NFL. Quarterbacks aren't going to be sent to the NFL, run that offense, fullbacks, those types of guys. It's built for running back you know, in an option quarterback. My guess is Nesbitt will be some type of athlete trying to make the NFL, kind of like Josh Cribbs, who plays for the yeah. Cleveland Browns. He won't be a quarterback in the NFL. Think we'll see any new wrinkles here for Iowa, or Georgia Tech for that matter? I don't know about Georgia Tech with Iowa. I'm going to say no, just because I'm so used to them being predictable. 
I am intrigued by the idea of putting Wegger in the Wildcat, but that just seems so unkirk like I can't see it happening. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, Weger would be a great guy like Ronnie Harmon, put in the slot. You could do some things with him from that standpoint. You know, the one thing you could do is, one thing would be a nice little change up for what we're doing, is you see a lot of teams do it. They'll run the zone or the stretch with the with a fake reverse on the, on that action. And it'd be so easy to put him in the slot and just, and then have him, and then what it does is it holds that eighth guy in the backside. has got to keep back here and now the cutback lane's there. He's got to stay back for the reverse. And then now that opens up the cutback lane for our running backs, and we're pretty we're pretty darn good at that. So, I mean, that's a rink I can see us going to, uh, but we are who we are. I mean, that's and, you know, there's something to be said for that because I know, you know, Coach Ferentz is, you know, we got to line up and take the game. We got to line up and pose our will on them, and I guarantee you that's what we're going to try to do. Predictions? Uh, you know, I I see a good game. I, I see a, I see it. I see a. A lot of plays offensively by both teams just because of the uniqueness of Georgia Techs, and I think our offense will be good enough to make some plays against our defense. Uh, so I see a back-and-forth game, but I think one team's going to win by 10 points. Right now, if I had to pick, I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on Iowa's side uh, just from the standpoint of, uh, you know, I, just, I think our defense is so sound. We play so physical and tough. And uh, the concept we've talked about, just concede, you know, confiding over every single inch, that's exactly what you kind of got to do against an offense like this. It's almost the exact opposite from a spread standpoint, but you still have to contest every single square inch out there and fight, and, and uh, I think our defense will be up to it. I've got Iowa winning a closer game, maybe 23-20, and I, I base a lot of it on the Ohio State game. I don't think Ohio, I don't think Georgia Tech's quite as good as Ohio State. I don't think Nesbitt's quite as good as Pryor, and Iowa almost won that game with a backup quarterback in a hostile environment. They won't have those in circumstances now, and I just see them winning a close game because I think if Iowa can make it to where Georgia Tech has to pass a little bit, that would really bode well for Iowa. And, and I don't think they're going to have another game rushing-wise like they did against Ohio State. I think that was their bad rushing defensive game of the year. So I think I got Iowa winning 23-20. I have Iowa winning as well. I just you know, look during the season, game after game, they shut down the opposing offense, and now they have all this time to prepare. I think it's going to be really beneficial for the Hawks. I'm not going to make a prediction because every time I do, I jinx the team. On first and ten, Stanzi trying to recapture his rhythm and his confidence. Marvin McNutt with the catch, and Marvin... Making a house call. Wow. Touchdown. Iowa with six turnovers. It's a 24-21 game, Mark. 92-yard touchdown pass from a quarterback that has five interceptions through four of them in the third quarter. But now it's the fourth quarter. He's okay. <laughs> the reborn Ricky Stanzi wide open. Johnson, Julianos, do you believe it? 66 yards for the score. Halloween just got a whole lot better for the fans in Iowa City. These last two plays, that had nothing to do with pounding the rock. <laughs> I mean, you talk about two home runs from a quarterback that had four interceptions in the third quarter. Iowa with its first lead of the ball game, and what a turnaround in the fourth quarter. Hawkeyesmike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.hawkeyesmike.com. Call toll free 866 74 Hawks. That's 866 74 Hawks. <laughs> 
Kevin Barkley's kick down to Darrell Johnson Koulianos. He escapes. Makes another good move and he's off to the races. He will score. Darrell Johnson Koulianos touchdown and Iowa is right back in it. How do you answer a big play? Easy with another big play. Just a little bit of a juggle on the front end of it and Sean he got a, a, a lane to the outside and it was over. Kirk Ferentz said he wanted the game to be close in the fourth quarter. Thought it was slipping away with a 14-point game and now we're right back into the middle of a big one. Let's take a quick look ahead at the 2010 Hawkeyes. That team probably going to have the strongest group of returning players. I mean, even not counting Hampton and Bernstein. If Spivet and Balaga come back, they're going to have 19 of 22 starters and a, a phenomenal home schedule next season. Just quick take on what you expect next year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is exciting to think about it and and to uh, to realize that if, if they can continue to have the mindset that what it, of what it takes and not get spoiled, you know, not get that's the key is you have to come back in January and February with the same hunger that they had a year ago, you know, going, well, are we going to be any good or not? You know, it's a new season. I mean, even though everybody's coming back and the pieces are all in place, it's a new season and, and you know, everybody's evolving. You know, Michigan's going to be better. I'm telling you, they're going to be better. And, and a lot of these other teams, Michigan State, another year with their coach. And it, it's the Big Ten is getting back. They're clawing back into this thing. And it's been down for three or four years. But, you know, the Big Ten is going to come back and be an effective team in the conference again Indiana's getting better Northwestern obviously is you know in that echelon right now so there's no pushovers again then we got Arizona is a, is a you know preseason game so you know it's just it's the mindset of the players you know if they have that tough edgy you know blue collar we're going to play physical get after you it's got a chance to be a great great season we could be in the top 10 from day one I would agree with that I do think that Spivey and Balaga are both going to leave that's just my gut feeling I think Spivey's already gone Balaga I think he's still weighing his weighing his options but I see a 10 9 or 10 win season they've got Iowa State here which helps they got Michigan State here they have Wisconsin here they go to Northwestern but they've had better luck winning over there recently there so, so no, I think things as long as they don't have injuries I think Stanzi needs to stay healthy but at least you know you've got Vandenberg to back him up it'll be interesting to see if Spivey does leave how the cornerback situation plays it out because Mark brought up a good point earlier so much of this defensive success was based on the fact that they never had to deal with Spivey they never had to worry about him he, I didn't want to say he did a Dion thing and took half the field yeah. away but in a way he did make things a lot easier for him but no I think I think they're in the midst of another 0-2-0-3-0-4 type run right now any thoughts on Norm's future given his health and his age wow yeah that's something that yeah you, you have you have to factor that in he's you know he's uh you know coaches coach Ferentz done a great job with their schedule you know as far as getting him off the road recruiting and letting him do things that he needs to do and, and making you know things more accessible for him but that's tough but you talk about a guy that loves it passionate about it it would be hard to walk away from this group of guys and he was asked about that at his press conference last week and he got a little defensive he's like hey I'm going to coach as long as I can I it was almost like he got his feelings hurt that the question is being asked but when you've got a defensive coordinator who's 70 years old and who's going through diabetic episodes like he's had and who spends time in the wheelchairs during games. I mean, it is an issue. And I've always thought, I think Norm's one of the best defensive coaches around the country.
country, but I don't think it helps the program having him not recruiting. And I know we physically can't go out and do it, but I think it, it hurts them sometimes with Norm. But maybe I'm overstating that. Maybe it's not that big of a deal, but I just think you need all your people out at a school like Iowa. It's too bad that Norm can't do more recruiting because I think he'd be effective out on the road. No, he, he's phenomenal. He, he's one of those guys that he's better sitting across the table. Exactly. Front, you know, shaking your hand and, and having that meeting. That's the great thing when they come on campus. They, they do get him on campus, yeah. I, I remember back to media day, I asked him this question and he looked at me sort of taken aback. But, you know, if you think back, the last time he lost a toe, and then he lost one again this preseason. And but he says he's not going to sacrifice any more toes for future years. But he does have, I think, at least eight left. Doesn't yeah, he does. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with Norm is is with the relationship that he's having. He will be here in some capacity. You know, I think he's settled in Iowa City. And, and whether it's you know you start weeding him out, not weeding him out, but taking a, a, a less active role, just more of a consultant role, he'll still be a strong influence on what this defense is doing. I would assume. So. It's a fun time to live it. I mean, I mean, I think he's found a nice place here. He likes it here. He's been treated well, and I think he'll come back next year, but I don't know. It's, I, to me, it's a fluid situation. It's the kind of thing it could change at any time. Just a reminder that you can be part of all Hawkeyes Mike shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is open 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And I love Iowa City. I love you, Hawkeyes Mike. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. Any uh, real quick takes on Big Ten expansion? Um, I think they have to do it. I do, too. I mean, the, the fact that we don't have a championship game and these other teams do in the BCS, and I hate the BCS, and I, didn't, I think they should abolish the BCS or fix it or something, but we're losing out. I mean, the Big Ten is going to lose out, uh, and this would have been a perfect example. Iowa could have been undefeated, and we could have not played in the championship, the national championship. But if we'd have played in the championship game, got more points there at the end, we might have had a chance to, to be playing in the national championship game. I think we do need to expand. Um, I don't think Notre Dame's going to do it. I would love to see Notre Dame in there. I mean, being a Notre Dame fan that I am, but I think a more logical choice would be Missouri or Rutgers, or I like Pittsburgh, but I know some people say, well, we've already got that market with Penn State or what have you. I don't think by going to New York City with Rutgers, that's going to like just, I mean, they've already got with Penn State, they've already got the New York City TV market with Penn State there. I think Pittsburgh would be a great team because they're good in a lot of sports. They're a good research institution. And I agree with Marv, too. I hate the BCS. I want a 16-team playoff. I think the Big Ten goes eight, seven weeks without any active. Everyone forgets about it. So Every level of football, every single level of football has a playoff except Division One football. Yep. Well, every sport in college has a playoff. I mean, yeah. 
and it's all because of the presidents and because of the money, but they'll make even more money when it finally does happen. They can't use academics as an excuse. Basketball players miss way more class than football players. I, it, to me, that's one of the most ludicrous arguments. Basketball players miss class all the time. They play 40 games almost. They're gone. They'll fly to East Lansing on a Tuesday and they have to be in Indianapolis or Indiana on a, I mean, on a Saturday. It's, the, it the, the beauty is if you go to a playoff system, I think then you can make a case. The other thing is, is then you don't schedule Arkansas State anymore. You know, you, yep. don't, you don't have to worry about that. You, you get into your Big Ten, you maybe have one or two preseason games, and you can put a USC or a Tennessee in there and get ready. You know, and if you lose to Tennessee, it won't hurt you when you get to, you know, hopefully the, the end of the year when you're in the playoffs and you get a chance to get, you're in the top 16. And the other argument is too many games. I think Nebraska played, what, 14 games? They finished 10-4. and four. They played 14 games. You could have a – the reason I want 16 over 8 is because if it's 8, you're still going to hear teams 9 and 10 whining. If it's 16, Team 17 doesn't have a lot of lot – of, Way to stand on, and I think 16 is enough for a program like Iowa. There's going to be some years where Iowa would have good seasons, but not finish in the top 16. But to me, it's incentive. I mean, under Kirk, they'd be in the playoffs, but they would have been in during those all three years. I mean, it's it's within Iowa's it's, it's within Iowa's reach every year to be a top 16 team. I think, and then the teams that don't make the playoffs, then you do your bowl stuff. But yeah, no, I'm just BCS out. I'm just and this year was like Marv said, they could have been 12 and 0 and not playing in that game. They wouldn't have been. It seems like Missouri is very interested, uh, at least based on the comments they've made publicly. But one of the interesting aspects, you know, I played with the maps. If you look at a, at a two-division setup in the Big Ten, whether it's with 12 teams or even 14 that they're talking about, either way you carve that out, Iowa, if it maintains the quality of the program it has right now, is going to be in good stead in the Western Division. It's going to be like the, what Nebraska is in the, in the North because it's going to be really une- not equal for football when you figure Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State would all, if you're going to, Divide it geographically, the they'd all be yep. in the east. So I'm not sure how that would work. They'd have to, and then if they got a Pittsburgh, then you'd have Iowa, Indiana, Minnesota, Wisconsin. It would be like the Northwestern, yeah. so and Iowa could really benefit from that. But hey, that's not Iowa's fault where they're located and that they're the best team of a what would be a weak division. Any other thoughts? It's been an awesome season. It has, it really it really has been a lot of fun. Fourth down, goal to go. This is it. Iowa's unbeaten streak on the line. They've won 11 in a row. It doesn't get any bigger or better than this play. Julianos and Strauss at the bottom of your screen. McNutt at the top. Morse, the fullback, is in the block. Moyaki on the wing. He goes in motion. Two seconds ago. Last play of the game. Stanzi, McNutt, touchdown! On the final play of the game, the Iowa Hawkeyes Michigan State Spartans 15 to 13. We said at the end of the day, can your guy beat their guy? And that's exactly what just happened. One on one coverage outside, bringing blitz pressure. Special seasons are made of this kind of stuff right yeah. here. I mean, it's do or die. You, you make the play or you don't. McNutt hadn't done much all game, but when his number was called, seven got six. He is 6'4", 215 pounds. Marvin McNutt used his body well to screen Chris L. Rucker on that play. And the sophomore from St. Louis, Missouri, the biggest catch of the season to date for Iowa. Championship teams either find a way or make a way. 
and you can tell Michigan State just had their hearts ripped out. Our thanks again to ABC, ESPN, and the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this season. Once again, another nice job week in and week out of capturing the excitement of Iowa football in 2009. And special thanks as always to our regular contributors Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, as well as Sean Patchett. We hope you have enjoyed these Hawkeyes Mike podcasts, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard. Call 866-74-HAWKS. Special thanks to you, the Hawk fans who listen to these shows. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.